everybody. Welcome back to another week of the Glintendo podcast. I'm Glintendo. This is my show. It's a weekly Nintendo slash Smash community slash Galaxy Brain, big massive brain conversation podcast. Thanks for coming back. How are you today? How are you this fine evening? However, this podcast is finding you. I hope you're great. I'm doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. I'm okay. We got a lot of cool things to talk about this week, so enjoy the show. Right at the top, I need to mention how I am competing in a Smash Brothers charity event for a charity called Michael's Miracles. So if you want to come check that out, the the tournament is called BZ's Benefits for Charity, and it's a high-level invitational. There's only eight players competing. I'm one of the eight players. And we'll be competing on stream through Twitch and all the proceeds, any donations that you want to make through watching the stream will go directly to Michael's Miracles. So don't forget about that. If you're into, if you want to check out some awesome Smash play, we have some great, great players um, on November 21st at twitch.tv slash bonkaizs. That's bonkai, B-A-N-K-A-I-Z-S. And all that information, I'm going to be spamming this this ad on Twitter every day. So just check out my Twitter. You'll see the ad. And November 21st. Um, so, yeah, you can come watch me play some Smash. I am going to be – I'm probably easily the worst player out of the eight that were chosen for this, quote, high-level invitational. But um, it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to compete in. I'm excited to actually do that. So don't forget to check that out. And – Another little bit of uh, housekeeping to take care of before we jump into the, the, the actual show. Um, we're going to be changing the podcast from the podcast schedule. So normally the podcast would release on Friday for the friendos on Patreon for supporters of the show. And then it would usually go free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube on the following Monday. But now we're going to actually be moving everything up one day. So... The podcast will go up for the patrons, for the friendos on Thursday, and it'll become free to all the following Sunday. So that'll be our new schedule. Keep an eye out for that. If, you, if you're used to listening to the podcast at a certain day and time, shouldn't really change much for you. If anything, you're just going to get a little earlier. So if you're one of those guys that loved it, like every Monday morning, you're on your way to work and you're like, I'm going to listen to this guy just rant about Nintendo. I need this to get my week started on the right note. Just wait one more day. Just don't listen to it on Sunday. It'll be there for you on Monday. What if I told you that we moved it up to Tuesday? You'd be upset. You'd be fuming. You'd be raging, sending me hate mail. So that's that. And yeah, so now we could talk about the show. Um, I actually just want to start with a message that we got from one of the super friendos on Patreon. Marina Berries wrote in. And she was responding to um, some of the conversation we had last week where I was grilling our hungry and interrogating him, trying to figure out why, what makes people not want to play Pikmin or if there's any, my theory was that the art style was turning people off, but everyone on Twitter um, seemed to disagree with that. And our hungry himself disagreed with that. And so Marina wrote in as to her experience as to why she put down Pikmin uh, way back on the GameCube. She wrote, I love the original Pikmin and you know why I never played it again? 
because I couldn't handle all the death. It was too much for me, and my sister even begged me to play the second and third one, and I was still so sad over the first. We just found other stuff to play. But you convinced me that I'm finally ready to face my fears, and I'm going to buy it tonight or tomorrow. I looked it up, and a lot of people had similar feelings, I guess. So that's why it it only sold a million copies. She goes on to say that it's weird because I'm not normally such an emotional person, but I do tend to get attached to inanimate objects and characters way more than actual people. It's just like so weird because even in like Zelda, for example, when you kill an enemy, they just kind of blow up. So there's no emotion there. But then the cute little Pikmin that your friends that are your friends have their souls flow out of the sky and the saddest noises ever. (laughs) Thank you, Marina, for uh, writing in. So, yeah, I mean, that's actually I know a lot of people that the stress of listening to their Pikmin die, like you just spent, you know, an hour or so growing your army. And then you just blew them up or you let them get eaten or you messed up and they all drowned and they have personalities and you really feel really bad. And she brings up such a good point. Like normally we don't really even think about death um, in video games. There are so many games where you just go and you just like kill the enemies. I didn't think about Goombas once. And I've played a million Mario games where I just stomp their head. Like not only do you kill a Goomba, you stomp his brain. And we never even think about that when we play video games. We just, we're killing machines, right? But Pikmin, it makes, it gives it such personality that you feel really, really bad. Um, And that just goes into like this game design thing where I actually remember that uh, a really famous game that people really, really love is Shadow of the Colossus. And I remember this is the, that game is amazing for so many reasons, but I personally couldn't play that game because I felt bad killing the Colossus. You're just like, you start the game and it's very abstract and you're in this really cool, like atmospheric world. And there's really not a lot of story. The characters that you meet from the beginning are speaking another language. And so you, you kind of have to like intuit what it means or what everyone's feeling. And it's really cool because it's just mostly gameplay and atmosphere, which is right up my alley. But the problem is that you start searching the land for these giant creatures And you kind of just instinctually go to kill them because that's what you do in video games. That's what you assume the game is about. But when I killed the very first boss in that game, I was like, I just killed this thing for no reason. Like, I feel really bad. So the reason I bring that up is because we usually don't even think about that stuff, right? Like, we just kill things in games. And I think one of the things Nintendo has always been really good at, um, just like Marina pointed out in Zelda, we don't really think about how many enemies we kill. And it's because they set it up in a context where those things are either really ugly or they're, they're vicious in some way or they're dumb. And so you just, you kill them and you don't even think of them as like creatures that are real or exist in a positive way. Right? Like I've never thought about or felt bad killing any of the bosses or enemies in Zelda, but shadow of the Colossus the enemy didn't even look like a bad guy. He just looked like a dude who was doing his own thing. And I just walked up to him and killed him. <laughs> so um, that's such an interesting concept in games. And and uh, it's interesting to even think about that. And obviously going back to Pikmin, I mean, they really make you feel bad for letting your team die. But the hypocrisy of it all, because you you're killing the enemies of that game without a second thought 
You know what I mean? You're just, your Pikmin are viciously killing some of these enemies and you don't think about that. But when the Pikmin die, you go, oh, now I feel bad. It's like, there's something about anything that has like a human shape. You just feel bad if you kill it. If it makes a sound, you feel bad if you kill it. But anyway, moving on. Uh, speaking of Pikmin, the first bit of news that we have today is that Pikmin 3 was the number one game in Japan for the second week in a row. We have no word yet on the American numbers. Um, we do know that in Europe, it had kind of an underwhelming launch. It actually sold less in its launch week than it did in uh, for the Wii U original release. But that doesn't include digital, so you don't know. Maybe just people are buying more games digitally since the pandemic. Um, so yeah, hopefully by the next few weeks, we'll have like the first month numbers for uh, Pikmin 3. And we can see if my dream will come true and this game will sell like many other Switch games, selling really great so that I can be assured this game is getting a sequel. Um, in other news, everyone's talking about console launches right now. The Xbox Series X comes out this week as well as the PlayStation 5. But people are forgetting you know, there's a lot of bias out there and a lot of fanboyism. And in the sea of fanboyism, it's getting completely buried and lost that Nintendo also has a console coming out this week. The Super Mario Brothers Game & Watch is available today, okay? November 13th for $49.99. And it's a console. It's a Nintendo console. And you know what? The funny thing about this console, out of all the consoles launching this week, this one has the best launch game. Pre-installed with Super Mario Brothers. It has an additional 40 secrets in it that weren't in the original game. It's getting really good reviews and it's 50 bucks. So if you're going to go to the store and buy a next-gen system, buy a new system for yourself, this is the answer. Best launch game, it's the cheapest one and it's the only one that's portable. Easy answer, bro. You buy a PlayStation right now, you're just like, you could have bought three Game & Watches and still saved so much money. Uh, I actually think that thing looks really cool. I don't think I'm going to buy it because I I don't know, man. It's it's so hard for me to find and live with myself knowing that I bought Super Mario Brothers, that game, so many times now, dude. Like, And I skipped a couple times. Like, I didn't buy it every time it was available on every system. I didn't buy it on the Game Boy Advance. I didn't buy it, like... Um, on the 3DS, but I've I've bought that game so many times at this point that I feel bad for myself buying it again, and and now I'm buying it for 50 bucks. But it looks so cool, man! Like I, I might just cave in and buy it. I don't know. Um, this is something where if I received this as a gift, this would be like a a home run gift for me, like just a great Christmas gift. Because it's not something I would buy myself, but if someone bought it for me, I'd be like, dude, this is amazing. Like, this is the thing looks cool. I'm going to play it. I'm going to try to find all 40 secrets. And it's possibly the greatest video game ever made. So that's the Super Mario Brothers Game & Watch available right now. Um, if any of the friendos want to get in, get in real good with me, you know, really get on my good side, that's how to do it. So in other news, um, we just keep getting little updates on Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, which comes out next week on November 20th. And if I'm going to be real with you guys, I've been having some, I've been having some conflicting feelings about this game. So my general impressions of the demo are really positive. Uh, but some of the positivity comes from the fact that I have a very low opinion of the Warriors games to begin with. 
you know? Um, and the more that I've kind of, now that a couple, a little bit of time has passed and I've let this game settle on my soul a little bit, I'm kind of conflicted on to whether to buy it. So if you guys don't know my, my gaming taste, it's, I'm a very gameplay driven guy. It's why I'm a Nintendo fan. It's why this podcast even exists because I love Nintendo because they focus on unique gameplay. Nintendo does the opposite of what everyone else does. Nintendo will make five Mario games that are all completely different, but then they all painted the same color. They all have that Mario aesthetic, but they have, they, they function completely differently. You know, 2D Mario, 3D Mario, Mario Party, Mario Kart, etc. Right? So that's like one company making all these different types of Mario games. And then you have other companies like uh, Naughty Dog makes um, Uncharted and The Last of Us. And those games have a completely different coat of paint. They're different characters. They're different, you know, universes and stories, different voice actors, all that. But mechanically, it's almost the same game. Like you could kind of just make Uncharted in the Last of Us engine and vice versa. Um, and that's true for so many companies. Like Rockstar primarily just makes GTA games. But, oh, this one's from the, the Western past, you know, aesthetic. And this one's a more modern one and vice versa. So the reason I bring all that up is because Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity is the first time where I'm interested in a game because of the story and not the gameplay. Like, I think that playing the demo um, and playing the different characters and seeing like the elemental rods and the the, uh, runes and how they incorporate all that they definitely beefed up the gameplay for this game compared to other Warriors games. And I'm excited about that stuff a little bit. But at the end, I still feel like it's just too mashy and it's too like everything's so weightless. Like you kind of just run around and it feels like you're flying through air and you're just like hitting enemies and there's not a lot of like feedback. It's just kind of like people just go flying and it feels very mashy and very easy. Um, so the gameplay is just kind of like, okay, or it's better, but it's it's like somewhere between okay and good. But the reason why I'm conflicted is because the story stuff looks so cool. And I just love Breath of the Wild so much and that universe. And the cutscenes in this game, just in the demo, they look so cool. And the music and like that Zelda world. Um, it's the Breath of the Wild influence is so, so heavy that I that's really what I want to explore. And that's usually not the case. I usually don't approach games from a story first perspective. Um, I like when the story is really good to enhance the gameplay, but I, I don't really buy a game just for the story. So I don't know. I may just cave in because I'm that big of a Zelda nerd and I want to play with Daruk for a while, but I just know that the gameplay is not going to like blow my mind at this point or even be super, super satisfying. So I don't know. I'm still conflicted. Let me know what you guys think about Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity. Um, just at me on Twitter and we can discuss and maybe I'll read out your thoughts or questions on the show. I have something that's really interesting in regards to console launches. So obviously I was joking. Nintendo doesn't really have a console launching this week. But it got me thinking about something that people talk about a lot when it comes to Nintendo and console launches. And I don't know um, how, how often you may have heard about this, but like every single time Nintendo puts something out and it's limited 
in supply or it's selling really well, there's been this kind of uh, agreed upon theory that Nintendo purposely limits how much they how much stock they have at the the launch of a lot of their stuff to create this like buzz of demand and this you know shortage so that you know there's headlines of oh this stuff is selling out and everyone's trying to get it and it's like it's great marketing for your products we saw it with the amiibos we've seen it with the nes classic the snes classic we saw it with the wii with the switch etc right it feels like nintendo stuff in the last couple of years especially is just constantly going out of stock and it's always in demand and it's always this thing where people are lining up and all this stuff. So I've heard people say that they do that on purpose many times. And people in the gaming press, they've been saying it as if it's like a proven fact. And I'm not denying whether what I, I'm not here to deny that it is or isn't, but I was always like, where are they? Why are they so certain? Like what piece of information did they get and from who? to confirm that that is true. So I reached out to a famous uh, video game industry analyst, especially famous among Nintendo fans. You guys will recognize the name, Michael Pachter. Uh, He runs a awesome show on YouTube and on sifted.net called Pachter Factor, where he just takes questions from the audience about analyzing, you know, the finances and the business of, of the gaming industry. And so me and him have had some correspondence here and there um, throughout the years, just from me being a fan of his and following him on Twitter and all that. So I reached out to get a definitive answer on his take on this question. My question goes, hey, Pac, is it true that Nintendo creates artificial scarcity for their products to create the illusion of high demand? This seems to be commonly believed by most in the gaming press, but I've never seen it actually proven. Doesn't this approach actually just hurt them in the end? wouldn't they rather just sell more units? Was it ever true for the company or is it just a commonly believed myth? And so Pac answered and he said, other than at launch, not true for the game consoles. Probably partly true for the NES and SNES minis, not true at all for any software, which is um, which is really cool to, to get uh, an answer from him because he's, you know, this is someone who's very well connected. He's, you know, had... He's talked to all the heads of these companies and, you know, he knows the people at Nintendo and they've met many times and he's been an industry analyst and he understands how this stuff goes. So it's interesting to hear that at launch, he's saying that this has happened. He doesn't specify which consoles, but it's safe to say that probably the Wii or uh, possibly even the Switch, that this has happened. And the SNES and NES minis, I remember Nintendo specifically saying how they were surprised at the the demand for those two, and then they had to ratchet up the the production for it later on. You know, these things aren't things where they can just like magically produce you know millions of units overnight. It's like they have a supply chain with whoever's manufacturing for them, and it's like, hey, uh, by October, you know, we're going to launch this thing, and so we need two million NESs, and then go back to work on the 3DS or on the Switch or on the Joy-Cons or whatever. You know, they can't afford to, it's not like they have an infinite amount of of workers and uh, supply chains to constantly have millions and millions of consoles out and keep their main hardware still going. So this puts to bed some of, some of that, that rumor. 
you know, uh, something like Ring Fit Adventure, which just blew up in the last year. And it's like a huge game now. It sells, it's, it's always sold out. That game is not sold out because of artificial scarcity. That game is just sold out because people are buying it. And like I said in the question, you know, Nintendo would rather just sell more copies. You know what I'm saying? Like they don't need to manufacture demand for a lot of their stuff. So yeah, that's something to really keep in mind, especially while everyone's talking about hardware and sales and all this stuff. It seems like at the very best, we can confirm that at some point they did do that on purpose. Um, but I guess it just puts to bed that feeling that anytime something that Nintendo related is is uh, out of stock or hard to find, that it's, you know, artificial scarcity and that they're purposely making less of it to create headlines. So thank you to Michael Pactor for answering my question and check out his show. He's awesome. So today we're going to talk about the main thing we want to talk about is numbers, big, huge, massive numbers for Nintendo hardware and software. But more importantly, we're going to talk about why any of this matters, right? So one of the things that's really annoying is that everyone knows the Switch is a big success, right? But a lot of times people and the gaming press, they don't put these numbers into context. Like even, you know, someone like me hearing like, hey, this game sold 3 million copies, right? And it's like, that sounds like a big number, but depending on which game you're talking about, that's actually a really successful number or a really unsuccessful number. For example, if a Mario Kart game sold 3 million copies, that's a huge failure. You know, Skyward Sword on the Wii sold 3 million copies and it was considered a failure, even though that's definitely a profitable game for them. Uh, that is a considered a failure considering how many Wiis are in the market, how many potential buyers they have, and how many people bought the previous installment. 3 million was small. But then you look at a game like Pikmin 3, if Pikmin 3 sold 3 million copies, it would, that's a huge success. So putting numbers into context, that's the first thing. But the other thing that we're going to talk about is why any of this matters. Why does Nintendo selling a lot of hardware and software, why does it matter? And just how much hardware and software are they really selling? So the, the big news that we got this past week was from the NPD group. The NPD tracks the sales of video game hardware and software. And they just put out these numbers telling you, oh, what's the best selling hardware for the month or for the year and the best selling games. And they, they constantly have these updates every month. So the update that we just got from them was for the month of October. And it goes like this. With growth of 136% when compared to the same amount in 2019, the Nintendo Switch family of systems saw its strongest October sales yet, with more than 735 units sold between the Nintendo Switch and the Nintendo Switch Lite in the United States. According to numbers provided by the MPD, the October 2020 sales of Nintendo Switch are the second highest October sales of any video game console in history, only outdone by the 807,000 sold by the Wii in, 2000, in October 2008. October continues a record-setting streak for the Nintendo Switch as the best-selling video game console for 23 consecutive months, the most months in a row for any video game console 
since the NPD started tracking sales numbers. To date, the Nintendo Switch has sold more than 22.5 million units in the U.S., and according to internal Nintendo data, the Switch has sold more than 63 million units worldwide. As of right now, the Switch is on pace to be Nintendo's biggest home console ever, if you count it as a home console. This is big, big news. So the first thing is that we'll find out in December how the Switch did in November. It's going to be interesting because it's going to break the record. It's going to be the number one selling system for two straight years, consecutive months, 24 consecutive months. And my prediction is that it will. I think it's going to outsell the PS5 and the Xbox Series X. Um, not necessarily because I think the Switch is, um, you know, a million times better than those systems. I, I do think the Switch operates in its own lane. And so they're not really competing for the same market. But the, the main reason is mostly because regardless of how great those other two systems are, they're only going to be available for half the month and they are limited by how much they can make. Like I, I highly doubt that just for the first, you know, two, three weeks alone, they're going to have a million systems that they can sell. I think the Switch is going to break this record and it's... It's such a huge number. It's amazing to see the success of this console. Like I'm just thinking back to the Wii U years where you know they they couldn't sell if they couldn't sell this much in a year. You know, they were struggling to sell 735,000 Wii U's a year and that system was so such a big failure and it was everyone was talking about how Nintendo's going to go away and they should make third-party games for other platforms and all this stuff and the Switch is already the 12th best-selling game console of all time, just in three years, right? It's only been out for three years. It's already the 12th best-selling game console. Um, if you consider it a home console, it's Nintendo's second best-selling already, just behind the Wii. The Wii is at like 101 million sold worldwide, and the next was the NES at 60 million. So the Switch is well past the NES, and it's, it's on track to outsell the Wii. And if you consider it a handheld, it's Nintendo's fifth behind the DS, the Game Boy, the Game Boy Advance, and the 3DS. So that's it's really amazing to see in three years that the Switch is going this far and that this hybrid console idea is so powerful and so successful. And they really just read the market in, in such a brilliant way. But let's talk about the software because that's the other piece of this story. And then we'll kind of wrap this all up and I'll, I'll kind of explain, put this into context and explain why any of this is important and why any of it matters to anybody. So the there was a joke actually that was going around on Twitter um, where someone pointed out that Animal Crossing New Horizons, which came out earlier this year in March, that it has sold already over 20 million units, right? And just to give you an idea of how big or small that number is, that is more than any PlayStation 4 exclusive, period. So the PlayStation 4 has been out since 2014, right? You have six years of that console being an insanely power, like popular console, having amazing games, and a, a very successful console for Sony. Um, and it has over 100 million people who bought a PlayStation 4. And Animal Crossing, in six months, 
outsold every single game that has ever been put out for that system, not just exclusives. The the joke was that it just outsold all the PlayStation 4 exclusives. It actually outsold every PlayStation game, period. Like the only games that it hasn't outsold on the PS4 are games that came out for other platforms and you'd have to combine their sales. I think the point of it was people for people to kind of say like, I can't believe Animal Crossing is this big of a game. Like it's Animal Crossing, like ha ha. You know what I mean? But then I looked into it and I'm like, wait a second. It's not just Animal Crossing. It's also Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is at almost 30 million sold. The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is at almost 20 million. Pokemon Sword and Shield, Mario Odyssey, and Super Smash Brothers. All of those games are either at 20 million or more, or they're just at barely at 20 million. Within the next, within like the next few minutes, those games are going to be at 20 million or more and have outsold every game on the Xbox uh, on the Xbox One and the PS4. So the software for Nintendo is just insane. It's just insane. What Animal Crossing did is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I actually think a lot of people keep saying that, you know, Animal Crossing got this COVID buff because obviously everyone was home quarantining and it came out right at the beginning of quarantine. And it's the perfect game for that kind of uh, change in your lifestyle. You can kind of live your life through Animal Crossing instead and so I actually think that that's, that's clearly true in some regards, but in my opinion, it actually, I think the only thing that happened was that it made Animal Crossing sell faster. Now, I don't think it actually made Animal Crossing sell that much more units because if you think about it, every Animal Crossing game has actually been selling really well compared to the previous one. The one on the 3DS sold an extremely high amount. It didn't sell 20 million, but it sold a lot, a lot of, of, of copies. And Animal Crossing is this game that is getting very, very popular each time it comes out. And every Switch game, like I just said, Mario Kart 8, Breath of the Wild, like Pokemon Sword and Shield, Mario Odyssey, Smash Brothers, these are all the best-selling installments in each of these series. And none of those have, you know, COVID to thank for it. So I think Animal Crossing was going to reach 20 million or more regardless but it definitely did it a lot faster because of COVID and everyone being home. So why does any of this matter, right? Why does why do people talk about sales numbers? Why should you care about it as a Nintendo fan? Like, you know, in, in, in the fanboy realm, I remember people used to like, oh, well, this game that I like sold more than the game that you like and all this stuff. And I'm like, who cares? You know, in the ideal world, these games are all selling millions and millions of copies. And if one sold more, then why does it matter? You know? So the reason why I think that all this stuff matters, the reason why I think people should consider this important, I have a few reasons why I think people should think that this stuff is important. Um, the first reason is the obvious one that we've mentioned many times. If you're a fan of a certain series or game, you know, you want these games to sell well so that they can ensure that they get a sequel and that this series doesn't die, right? Right now, obviously I've talked about it enough, but you know, I really want Pikmin to sell a lot because I want more Pikmin games. And, you know, if you're an Animal Crossing fan, you don't even have to worry. That game is that game always sells so well that there's guaranteed to be more. So that's the most obvious reason. But I think the bigger reason why this stuff is important is because I think that Nintendo 
is a really unique company, right? Like on one hand, you have the fact that they create software and ideas that no one else would ever make. No one would ever think of Splatoon or Pikmin. Those two franchises are just so unbelievably unique that no one would think to make that. And something like Smash Brothers, you know, there are millions of fighting games that came out before it and no one ever made a four player like ring out style fighting game that has anything that is anything like Smash. So for me as someone who wants to see something unique and wants to see the, the, the medium of video games constantly be reinvented and pushed, it feels good to know that this company and these games are doing really, really well. Nintendo's like Apple, where they create software and hardware together. And a lot of times the software is better because Nintendo creates the hardware. And a lot of people kind of think that's just a marketing thing. And that I remember back in the Wii U days, even, even someone that I respect very much, like Michael Pachter, that I mentioned earlier, industry analyst, he was pointing out like, if Nintendo can sell, you know, 20 million copies of Mario Kart on a f one of their own failing systems, and that's the only place you can play it, imagine what would happen if they put that game out on every single device. They would sell, you know, 300 million copies and they would have an insane amount of money. And that's definitely true. But the problem is that there is no future for the company if they don't make their hardware with their software. And this is a huge debate amongst video game fans. A lot of people think that PlayStation and Xbox, they make more powerful hardware. So a lot of times they're thinking, oh, this Zelda game is so great. Imagine if it was on the PlayStation, it would look three times better. And imagine if, you know, Smash was on the Xbox, the online would be a lot better. And a lot of those arguments are true, but they're short-sighted in my opinion, because a lot of the games and a lot of the things that we love about Nintendo that make them unique are a product, a direct product of the fact that they make their hardware too. There are a lot of ideas for games that wouldn't exist and wouldn't have become popular if they hadn't made the hardware to make it a thing in the first place. So a, a perfect example, there are really obvious ones like The Legend of Zelda, the original one on the NES, it had a memory card in the cartridge. And that was the first time that ever happened. So you could design a game that people could play long form that didn't reset every single time that you turned it on. You know, Pokemon was made because they had a link cable on a portable device. Um, Smash Brothers, if, you know, that, at back in the day, having four player, uh, a four player system was not a standard. They made these things standards and created these big games out of them. And if you're just sitting there as a software developer and you're making your game for the PlayStation or for the Xbox, Sony and Microsoft are only making innovations that they think everyone knows how to use already. They're not really making anything that really takes things to a new level. And when they do, a lot of times what's missing is the game that proves their concept. So Sony's famous for this. Like they put out the PlayStation Move, they put out PSVR. Um, they put out uh, the iToy back on the PS2. They, have, they actually have tried to innovate in certain ways with hardware, but because they don't make the games that sell you on the, uh, that idea, they always end up failing with that stuff. And the thing that works for Sony is making this very like generic console that is very powerful that everyone can make their game for. But you're not going to get Wii Sports out of it. You're not going to get 
um, you know, the DS and the touchscreen and the games that come out of that, you know, you're not going to get Mario Kart. Like all those series and those franchises have really come from Nintendo having a great idea for their hardware and software together. So seeing the Switch succeed on this level is huge because it proves that they're right on this, you know, that they have a unique place in the market. And yeah, we could be selling, you know, 50 billion copies of Animal Crossing if it was on the PlayStation and the Xbox and PC, but 20 million in six months is good enough. You know, they don't need to sell much more. And the cost of them putting it on everything else means that they lose a lot of control to make something unique. So obviously there are some drawbacks to that approach. Like there are the Wii U years, you know, like I like my Wii U and, and, um, I obviously Pikmin three and Splatoon and smash brothers were really great on that system. But overall that was like the least fun I ever had with a home console. Like I never wanted to play it because of the gamepad. I just didn't want to hold that thing. And I think they really failed with the gamepad. And if the cost of having, you know, a Breath of the Wild and a Switch, which I think the Switch is already my favorite game system ever. Like just form factor, me holding it, the games that are on it, everything, the OS, it's a 10 out of 10 for me. It's my favorite. If the price of getting a Switch is that every now and then that company is going to make something weird like the Virtual Boy or the Wii U that I really don't like, I'm fine with that. They need the freedom to pursue uh, the, the creativity and we're all benefiting from it. You know, everyone's favorite Nintendo games are these really unique games that even if you don't get it and maybe you got used to it, a lot of that stuff would not exist if they didn't make the hardware for that software to like blossom and really become this amazing thing. So that's another reason why all these numbers really matter to me, at least like, wow, Breath of the Wild is the biggest Zelda game ever. Zelda's not going anywhere for a while. Every Zelda game was selling less and less than the previous one. And I'm not a fan of Skyrim. I think that game is so buggy and I can't play games that are buggy. I just, I really don't like that. So for me to see that in 2011, you know, Skyward Sword came out and nobody really cared about it. And then Skyrim came out and Skyrim was like this phenomenon that everyone was talking about. I'm like, I, we're losing something. You know what I mean? Like it, we're losing something when Zelda's failing like this and Skyrim is succeeding. We're losing that gameplay and that polish matters. And so seeing Breath of the Wild at the top like this, man, is it's just and all these games, Mario Odyssey, Smash Brothers, Animal Crossing, it's a big win for people that care about gameplay first and care about polish and care about unique character designs, unique gameplay. It's a huge win for that. And Nintendo is the master of that. And they're not going anywhere. Thank God. The Wii U years, it was like super scary. Once PlayStation entered the video game space in the 90s, they really took a lot of people away from Nintendo platforms. And the N64 was a success, but the PlayStation deleted it in terms of sales. So they lost that race by a lot. The PlayStation 1 sold like 100 million units, which is insane that on Sony's first game system ever, they sold 100 million. That, that was unheard of. No one had sold 100 million at that point. So that was amazing. And Nintendo only sold like 32 million N64s. 
So it's kind of embarrassing to be like, hey, we're the kings of this domain, right? And we bodied every single competitor. And then this new guy comes along, um, which actually Sony only entered the video game space because they, they were partnering with Nintendo to make a CD drive-based Super Nintendo. And then Nintendo apparently kind of like rudely cut them out of the deal. And so Sony was so upset by that, that they just out of spite made a game system to compete and they ended up winning really big. And then you fast forward to the next game system, the GameCube, Nintendo sells even less than the N64 and the PS2 sells 50 million more than the last one. And you have this, this problem where the, the video game space was like, it felt like the video game audience was leaving Nintendo behind. And so what did they do? The DS and the Wii, both systems famous for appealing to non-gamers um, and appealing to people who normally wouldn't play games and being this very casual focused and entry-level focused video game design. Like, hey, you know, are buttons too complicated for you? Like a touchscreen, very intuitive, you know, the motion controls and all that. And the Wii and DS were big, phenomenally huge systems. You know, they were big pop culture moments. But someone like me, who's like a hardcore Nintendo fan, and many people like me, we felt like, okay, Nintendo is not focusing on us. They were still giving us games, like obviously Twilight Princess was a launch game for the Wii, and, you know, they still made Smash, and they still made like Metroid Prime 3 and all these games that were, you know, for, for people like me. But there were a lot less of those games and you can tell their focus was more on Wii Music and Wii Fit and, you know, casual games on the DS. And so Nintendo was finally back at the top of the mountain, outselling the competition, but it felt bittersweet for the hardcore fans because we felt like, are they still, do they, is this still the company that cares about making these big, like ballsy games for people like, you know, hardcore gamers who liked you know, Ocarina of Time and Super Metroid and stuff. And I remember thinking at the time that maybe, maybe those years of Nintendo's life are, were over. That the only way for them to succeed now was to appeal to non-gamers primarily and make Nintendogs and stuff like that. And that the competition for the traditional gamer was just too stiff, especially like, you know, Xbox had come out and the 360 was a big system and it was very successful. And I couldn't see the hardcore gamers ever coming back to a Nintendo home console when the competition from Sony and Microsoft was just so, so strong. So then the Wii U comes out and it fails. And now in retrospect, it's the best thing ever that the Wii U failed because it killed Nintendo ever wanting to appeal or primarily appeal to the casual market ever again. Um, the iPhone had also taken off in those years and the casual market had gone from people who maybe would have bought a DS and a Wii to being people who just play on their phone and they don't buy a game system. And the Wii U comes out and it's just an a, the abysmal, just huge failure. And I remember there being a quote from Nintendo, from Miyamoto, back in those years. And I, I don't remember exactly where I saw this quote. I'm sorry that I can't cite it properly. 
But there was a quote where he said that his opinion was that the company needed to move in the direction of appealing to gamers again and not trying to win over these casual gamers. Now, keep in mind, like the Wii and the DS, the Wii was the biggest home console they ever put out and the DS was the biggest console they ever put out, period. So they're looking at their two biggest successes and going, we we need to change. The Wii U has proved to us that that whole plan is just dead. That whole market is gone. And I was very skeptical when I heard that quote. I was like, dude, I really don't, with PlayStation 4 being this big of a system, I don't know that they can win over those people anymore. You know, there's always going to be people who want to play Zelda and Metroid, but those franchises were selling less and less and less over the years. And despite a lot of cool innovations, like they were just not selling as much. So the Switch comes out, Breath of the Wild comes out. All these games have come out. And it feels like the reason why this is so important is because Nintendo now is not just successful like they were in the Wii days, more successful than they were in the Wii and DS days. And it's because of real gamers. It's because of people that love video games, not because they're selling to people who don't like video games. And that shift really, really matters long-term. And it matters for me because I'm getting the games that I love Nintendo for. You know, Breath of the Wild is, Zelda's my favorite series. And to see such a ballsy reinvention of that series is what I want them to do. I want them to keep pushing the creativity and make me feel the way I felt when I was playing Mario 64 for the first time as a kid. And I'm like, what is this? Like, it's a 3D game and it's so different from other Mario games and other games, period. I want to feel that way as much as possible. So to see that they're successful now, again, more successful than they've ever been, selling more software than they've ever sold, selling more hardware than they've ever sold, And it's because they're innovating and they're appealing to everybody. It's, it's really, really, really awesome. People, um, you guys have definitely heard here and there throughout the years, people at Nintendo, they would always say like, Hey, we make games that are for everybody, you know? And that sounds really cheesy because you can kind of tell that it's like a marketing thing. Like, Oh yeah. You know, we don't focus on the hardcore guy who's in his basement playing, you know, uh, uh, Xbox Live or whatever. We're appealing to everybody, you know, girls and moms and dads and everybody. It, it actually is true. You know, when you think about it, everybody loves Mario. And if, if Mario was on every game system, it would be the highest selling game of all time without question. And Nintendo's unique in that. They make games that literally almost everyone likes. There are people who don't even like video games, but they'll go, oh, but I like Mario Party or I like Mario Kart, you know, and for them to be able to appeal to those people, but then also make a game like Breath of the Wild that is like the pinnacle of hardcore, you know, open world design and reinvented that whole thing. They're the only company that can do that. And without Nintendo the gaming landscape would lack a lot of personality and portable gaming would just be complete garbage because I don't know about you guys, but mobile gaming is horrible. Like even Nintendo couldn't make mobile games that I enjoy. I hate playing games on my phone. I don't like the way it feels. 
I don't like the whole gotcha thing where I have to like pay extra money to play for an extra 10 minutes or whatever. All that, that whole market is just so bad. And to think about a world that didn't have Nintendo is just sad. And the Wii U years brought me to the brink where I was like, this might be it. Like they're losing money as a company every year now. And this is an irredeemable failure. And to see them back, man, they're here to stay. These numbers are huge. And that's why the sales matter. They're destroying Sony and Microsoft in terms of software. They actually always have done really well against, even with the, when they had a, a failing console, their software has always sold insanely well. And so we're going to get more of this company that just has, in my opinion, Nintendo has the best approach to game design. They make the best games overall. They make the most unique games. That's why these huge numbers matter. And with that, it's time to say goodbye. A little bit of a shorter episode this, this week. Uh, there wasn't a lot to go off of in the news, um, but I hope you guys come back next week. We always find a way to take any little news that we have or any little bit of information and make it really interesting and have an awesome conversation. And um, yeah, if you want to interact with the show, you know, I put up a lot of questions on Twitter. So check out my Twitter and, you know, reply with any comments or questions or whatever, insults, anything that makes you feel good to do it. And that's the show. Have a good night, everybody. Uh, I don't really know what else to say, man. Like, I feel like I left it all on the table. Thank you guys. See you next week. Hope you enjoy the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Super Glentendo. The Glentendo podcast is a weekly Nintendo slash Smash community podcast. Our aim is to have galaxy brain conversations on all things Nintendo. If you like the show, please consider becoming a friendo and supporting at patreon.com slash Glentendo. Friendos get early access to the show each Friday. The show then becomes available to all for free the following Monday on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and Spotify right now and you like the show, give it a good review. It helps support a lot more than you might think. This show is brought to you by our amazing producers, Naomi Eduardo and the legendary Riz.